When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mysterious Universe, Season 30, Episode 15. Coming up on this show, we've got India's metallic man monkey visiting the park in Focus 27 and meeting at the Interdimensional Cafe. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. What, people leave their bodies and have some, what, tea and cake at an interdimensional cafe somewhere? You know Robert Monroe, obviously. Of course, yeah, we, I love We do on this show the uh, trailblazer into the research of out-of-body experiences. He uh, wrote a bunch of books in the, was it the 1970s, 1980s? Mm-hmm. I think his last one was in 92, about his out-of-body experiences. And of course, he established the Monroe Institute where they research altered states of consciousness. Well, over time, the people that did this uh, program he designed at the Monroe Institute, they started to notice that there was this meeting spot in another dimension. And Mon- what, that they had created? Yeah, it was like this Tulpic Cafe. It, it's kind of like the base camp for Mount Everest, but instead of Mount Everest, you're exploring other dimensions. Yeah, before you go through each of those layers, right? Yeah, well, I'll be talking about an author today, uh, a German guy who went to the Monroe Institute multiple times. And on the, I think it was the second visit where he learned about this location. And it's essentially where you go into this altered state of consciousness. And remember, Monroe divided up these different dimensions of existence into focus levels. That's right, yes. Which different layers. indicated, yeah, layers of consciousness, layers of existence. And I can't remember what focus level it was, but yeah, apparently there is this place where you all meet up. It's like everyone meet up at the cafe. You all go into this altered state of consciousness and it's like, okay, we're all here. What, to rejuvenate before you go on some excursion? Yeah, let's go into some wild dimension together. You've got to meet up at the cafe. Okay, cool. But for the the author I'm going to be covering today, his name's Oliver Tapp. He's got this new book called Invisible, Out-of-Body Experiences and Explorations into the Afterlife. There's the cover there. He goes along to this one-week course at the Monroe Institute and it costs a couple of grand. Like, you can still do it today. It's two or three grand to do do the whole course. And uh, he noticed that he was always lagging behind everyone. Like on the the second day, one of his, because you get paired up with people Mm. and his roommate, uh, and I'll explain how it all works later on in the show, but his roommate basically is like, I went to another dimension. I saw dead loved ones. I saw this. I saw that. And all Oliver experiences is someone snoring. That would be you. That would be <laughs> you just, if you underwent that. He's about to go into like a slightly altered state of consciousness and he just hears this. <laughs> it's hard. Like no wonder Monroe has got this entire program set up because it's a really hard thing to train yourself to do. And, you know, normally for a lot of people having out-of-body experiences like this, they're completely spontaneous, which is why it's so terrifying for a lot of people that undergo those experiences. 
And I guess anything that's worth it, though, requires that effort to learn and train and understand how to actually use it. Well, it's a real discipline. Absolutely it is. Yeah. And it, well, it fits in with meditation and those sorts of practices as well. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into that in a moment. In our plus extension, actually, towards the end of the show, uh, I've been trawling through these really old archives of a website known as the Groom Lake Desert Rat, right? And it happened to coincide uh, with this new video that's come out from News Nation. News Nation, it's a YouTube channel. I'll link to it at the show notes. It's quite large. It's got like over a million followers. But they've published a collection of files from George Knapp, like the great journalist and researcher George Knapp. And um, he's got his podcast with uh, Jeremy Corbell. That's right. Going quite well. Yeah, really nice guy. Um, And I was going through some of his files because, of course, George Knapp was one of the first people to publish any details about the Area 51 or the facility that was there. It wasn't known as Area 51 at that point. What's the Desert Rat publication? Is that the Desert Rat is actually being published by uh, Glenn Campbell, right? And this was shot. Is he the rat? Is he the Desert Rat? He's the Desert Rat. Just digging up all the stories. That's he's exactly, and that's what he does. So he hangs around Rachel in Nevada, and of course, you know, he found out or he noticed that there was very something unusual going on around this area. Uh, And most of the time, though, he said, look, people see lights in the sky around that area all the time, you know, strange balls of light and strange activity going on. And he's he's actually very, uh, I guess, uh, paranormally conservative because he's like, it's just flares. It's just, you know, typical standard military things that are going on. And yes, the Pleiadian light ships. Yeah, all that crap, right? He just shoots all that down. But this is why I actually like his research because he can go, well, yeah, that stuff's all actually normal. But the other stuff that's going on, if you dig a little bit deeper, you find that there's something very strange occurring here. And in fact, he pulls up the story of Alfred. And Alfred is allegedly a guy who worked at Area 51 and uh, provided great insight into the technology that was being tested there, including they're not off-world craft, but they're also they're, they're highly advanced aircraft that were derived f- allegedly from extraterrestrial technology. Who is this... Alfred guy. This is, is it someone we know? No, it's not someone we know. Like Alfred Bielek. No, no, no. This is. is a pseudonym that was used. And he essentially uh, worked with a leading German scientist who came over from the Second World War with Project Paperclip. And uh, he was given great details really? about what this program is. And it will actually give us some greater insight as to why these things crash, why people's cars break down, why all the electrical components go. Uh, and then I dug even deeper and it led me down this path of how once everything you know heated up, and I'm not saying it's George's fault by any means, but once the attention came about that, yeah, there's a facility here and there's advanced technology that's being tested, they had to move it. They had to move it to other locations. They had locations. to move Area 51. Well, they didn't move Area 51, but they moved some of the programs okay. and some of the UFO technology, the, you know, the unidentified flying objects that they were experimenting with. And of course- The Pine Gap. Well, maybe Pine Gap, that is, but that doesn't come up in this story. Uh, but they moved it to places in Texas, so I'm going to describe some of those stories. But they also moved it to Spain and Puerto Rico, potentially. Okay. And then it starts tying in with strange portals opening up, cool. with strange chupacabra-like entities. All of that is coming up in our Plus extension cool. towards the end of the show. I've got a bunch of portals. Oh, that works. That's good. Well, <laughs> I guess, I mean, it goes without say, with out-of-body yeah. experiences. Well, it's not an MU show with at least one portal. That's true. That is very true. That's where all the stories come from. <laughs> Story portal Story opens portal. up in the afternoon. We're about to give up. Normally and, at like about, yeah, five o'clock in the afternoon, we've got to record yeah. at six and it's like... We're about to check out. Yeah. Just end everything. The portal only opens up, you know, in relation to how much stress we're under. So it's got to, like the closer it gets to six o'clock and the more likelihood that we're not going to get a show out, the more likely it is it will open for us. So like I said, this is Oliver Tapp, invisible out-of-body experiences and explorations into the afterlife, focusing on the Monroe method. He's a former TV journalist from Germany. And today he's a certified trainer for the Monroe Institute. 
And I'm not sure how the whole system works, but you have to obviously go there and pass some kind of tests and get certified. But he he moved to LA in 1992 and uh, the the book's extremely well written. I didn't realize it was translated. Oh, right. Because I went to look the guy up and find out more about what he does and what he's selling, really. It's all in German. It's all in German. Like, mm. everything's in German. His website's in German. His Facebook page is in German. Everything's in German. And and when I finally looked into it, I realized the book is a translation. But, yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell. So, usual story with this kind of stuff. Like, this guy was fascinated with death from a young age. Like, he's one of these kids who had these big questions very early on. He remembers going to the graveyard and somewhere in Germany with his family, and but just wondering where are all these people now? Like, surely that's not it. They're just not in the ground. And uh, as he got into his teens, he started to experiment. And uh, he thought... what? Well, he thought the best way to figure out the answer to that question is necromancy. (laughs) So he he got a Ouija board. He tried to get in touch with the dead, got all these books from the German library and occult on the occult stuff. But thankfully, it didn't work. None of that stuff worked. And And he got uh, a spirit attached to him? Well, no, because years later he stumbled across one of Robert Monroe's books. This mm-hmm. is how this started. He came across Journeys uh, Out of the Body by Monroe. I'm not sure if that was one of his first ones, but... It's definitely one of his earliest. Uh, yeah, 1971, Journeys Out of the Body. That's the first book. And in November of the year 2000, inspired by the books, he set off on this six-day wor- workshop at the Monroe Institute, which is in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the foundation of the Gateway Voyage program lies in the Hemisync audio technology, Yes, which of course is the, the core of the whole Monroe system. And if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, binaural audio in that the left you put headphones on and the left ear will have a, a sound frequency. or a music at a certain frequency and the right ear will hear another frequency, another sound at a different altered frequency. Have you ever used it? Yeah, I've tried the tapes over the years, but it's the kind of thing where I've tried it for 10 minutes and gone, this is so boring. Well, I wouldn't say boring because, I mean, I like that kind of stuff, but I have tried Hemisync and it's just, for whatever reason, it just can't How long have you done it for? Maybe an hour? Okay, so that's the problem. You've got to go through the whole course and treat it like a discipline. Right. Yeah. It's it's like going, um, you know, I did an hour's worth of karate. How come I'm not a black belt? Yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You, you have to, you get out of it what you put into it. To give you an example, this is just a little snippet of the very first CD that came out. You start to hear a wavering, a vibrato in the tone. When you hear this, your brain is beginning to act in unison. The two halves of your brain, the hemispheres, are starting to act and perform electrically as one unit. This is what is described as hemispheric synchronization, or hemisync as we call it. This greater natural brain-mind power is what you will learn to use. So relax for a moment and explore this new feeling of hemisync. That's uh, that's why I stopped listening to quiz because it's like, bee- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting system because people seem to get a lot out of it, and the people that do it and and put this discipline into it do come out with these wild experiences, and it, it opens up this extra perception to them in some cases that leads them into supposedly these other dimensions. What I like about the stories I've heard about Hemisync over the years and the Monroe Method is so many people that do exactly what you described have been like, oh, 
this is so boring. And they get up to like leave and go get a glass of water or something. <laughs> and they turn around and their body's still on the bed. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a, the there's a cool like reports. That. And there's a lot. Yeah. it's This is along the lines of one of those adventures. So a, a little bit of background on Monroe. He, uh, he was born in 1913, I think, but it wasn't until the 1950s that he started experiencing the OBEs. Mm -hmm. And they just came along randomly. He would just yeah, find himself out, outside of his body. Now, it's interesting, the timing, because being born in 1913 and he had his experiences in late, I think it was 1958, he would have been 42 when this huge spontaneous change in his life started to occur, this real spiritual change. Even though it was spontaneous, did something spur that spontaneity? I'd have to go back to his material. It's been years since I read it. But the, the like time, he didn't have a trauma or a loss or something like that? Not that I'm aware of. But the, the timing is really intriguing when you put it into the perspective of cycles of time. Why is and that? I spoke on previous shows about Rudolf Steiner's views on cycles of evolution for the human being. Mm -hmm. And it occurs in seven-year cycles. That's right, yeah. And so you you come to full consciousness of being a human at the age of seven and at the age of 14, there's another 42. development. And then at 21. And at 42, it's said in, in Steiner's philosophy that there will be some major shift in occurrence, either physically, physically or spiritually or mentally, that will act as a kind of a wake-up call for the individual. Mm. For a lot of people in their early 40s, it's some kind of health issue. Like you have some serious issue and it causes you to reassess. You reassess your whole life and what's really meaningful to you. And Steiner noticed that this was on a cycle. It would occur all the time. So I looked at, you know, did the math on Monroe's age and this is when all this happened, when he turns 42 and it totally changes his life. So he looked for explanations. You know, he went to doctors, psychiatrists, and obviously he didn't get a, a, a an acceptable explanation. Uh, he ended up developing techniques for inducing and controlling the experiences himself. Mm. And this is where the books came from. So the first was in 1971, Journeys Out of the Body. Far Journeys was in 1985 and Ultimate Journey in 1994. He founded the Monroe Institute in Virginia in the early 1970s. And I think I've got a couple of pics of the place. Well, here's Monroe, for starters. And there's a couple of images of the facility. It's beautiful. It's still there. Yes, it's a really amazing looking location. Giant crystal. You've got to have a giant well, crystal. of course. It's obligatory then. <laughs> if you're setting up some kind of institute, yep. you've got to have a giant crystal in your backyard. Um, and he developed this system called, well, it's just called TMI, the Monroe Institute, it explores human consciousness and offers programs to help individuals experience and develop expanded states of awareness. And of course, Hemisync came out of that, which is the patented technology. And I'll link to some of those early CDs and programs. You can still buy those today, obviously. I think there's actually a full website dedicated to Hemisync. Yeah, they've got a big store where they, they sell all that stuff. Mm. Uh, he passed away in March of 1995. So Oliver, our author, had ponied up thousands for this Monroe Institute course. And he's immediately having second thoughts when he arrives because this place, you know, he's from Germany. He's just come to America. This place is in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. And he's like, I've got to spend six days with these total strangers in this weird lodge in the middle of nowhere. What am I doing with my life? Anyway, he goes in and he, he meets the staff and they welcome him into the lobby. And uh, Tammy is one of the woman that meets him. But he's basically assigned a room, which is number 19, 
and his roommate is Phil. And he explains how Tammy leads him through these corridors. And I'm just going to play, I might just play a little slideshow I've got here, which I, I downloaded from, there's no audio with this, but it'll just show you the pictures. If you're watching the video, it'll show you the, the images of what the lodge looks like. He's taken into this small room next to two desks and two clothes rails are these wooden cubicle enclosures. It's very 70s, isn't it? Yeah, the it is. Wood-lined <laughs> walls and plush furniture. <laughs> these are old photos. I'm not sure what it looks like today. But he starts talking about this CHEC unit that he's shown. What is and, that? Well, he's got no idea. This woman, Tammy, says, this is your CHEC unit. CHEC stands for Controlled Holistic Environmental Chamber. And this is where you're going to do your exercises. And he's like, um, where are the bedrooms? And she says, oh, this is your bedroom. And I, I see if I've got an image of it here. It's, that's like the orgy room that you, you go to afterwards. <laughs> Look at this. These are these little wooden cubicles that you spend the majority of your time in. They're built, there's two of them per room. Oh, and there's that giant mirror there. I was only just reading actually recently about how, uh, I don't know if it was Monroe, but there were out-of-body experiences where people described going through the mirror. Oh, I don't think there's a mirror it's there. not that one? What's that? On the back? Yeah. I think that's just oh, the that's... curtain that goes over the entry to the, oh. the cubicle. But yeah, you've got another roommate in there who's in his own cubicle, and you're just inside, and he looks at it, he's like, I'm going to die. I can't do this. too claustrophobic. I can't deal with it's this. that small. I mean, God, if you've ever been to a capsule hotel, that's nothing. Who's been to a capsule hotel? Plenty of people have. <laughs> I've never been to a capsule hotel. Um. And there's speakers on either side of your ears, but you do get a set of headphones. So what they're doing is they're piping in the hemisync thrust stuff through the headphones. Mm -hmm. And then I think you get instructions coming through the speakers. Um, so, yeah, he's wondering how on earth he's going to deal with this through all this. Uh, what is that? It's just one of the random. Oh, spoon bending. There's a photo of spoon bending. I'll just run that slideshow while I go through some of this. But... um. He's in, he meets the instructors. He meets John and Karen. They're the two instructors. And they say, this week, we want you to forget about linear time. We will wake you early in the morning and ring the, ring the big bells in the den. And we'll, this, this will indicate the start of each new program activity. So I'll just skip ahead to his first experience. He starts talking about this guided relaxation. And he describes listening to the hemisync sounds and his um, heart just getting faster and farther, faster. He said, Bob slowly counts from one to 10 and I feel a slight pressure in my skull. My right hand begins to tingle as if I've fallen asleep. And for a moment, he says, I feel as if I'm sinking. And before I can delve deeper into this sensation, Monroe's voice continues through my earphones, sounding muffled. Focus 10, he says. You are now in focus 10, the state where your body is deeply relaxed and your mind is fully awake. And he starts describing images flashing through his mind, but they're coming through so fast, like fractions of a second, he can't focus on anything. Suddenly, he says, my body feels as heavy as lead. I'm momentarily frightened. Thoughts race uncontrollably through my mind. This is what it must be feels like. This, sorry. This is what it must feel like to be paralyzed. And so something's happening. It is affecting him. Immediately, something is occurring. And this is where he explains how the technology theoretically works so the brain responds to rhythmic sounds by generating waveform patterns, brainwave patterns. He says consistent drumming, for example, can induce relaxation in some listeners. Slow rhythmic music has a similar effect. So the, the basic concept 
is, well, he says, consider you've got two tuning forks, for example, and they're calibrated to slightly distinct pitches. Say you've got one at 400 hertz, you've got another at 405. If you strike them simultaneously, these sounds amalgamate in the air to form a third sound, which is a so-called monaural vibration at five hertz, right? That's the difference between the two frequencies. Now, musicians, especially using string instruments, they're familiar with these vibrations because they're constantly tuning their instruments. They hear these all the time. This monaural vibration disappears only when the tuning fork aligns with the relevant string. However, when the two different sounds are separately channeled into each ear via headphones, the brain constructs that third sound from the five hertz difference, which is known as the phantom sound. This is the binaural beat. The right and left hemispheres of the brain adjust to this new frequency to establish equilibrium. This phenomenon results in hemispheric synchronization, a harmonized state of the brain. So long story short, it is a really efficient, very straightforward way to essentially modify your brainwaves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the adherents to the system claim that it is a a way to skip uh, hours of meditation, which might achieve the same result. Feels like it's cheating though, doesn't it? Yes, in a way. But I mean, they're not focusing on one of the things with meditation is it's usually coupled with uh, some kind of um, spiritual Spiritual discipline, Mm -hmm. which this is not. This is just doing something to your brain. So theoretically, could we change the frequency of the left and right channels of the show, for example, and induce the same effect? Or does it have to be a certain instrument that's used, a drumming? You could do that, but we'd have to record in stereo somehow so we wouldn't be able to use these mics because this is just a mono of course, yeah, yeah. signal. But I wonder if that would have an effect. So like all this kind of the ideas of what's it called, like surreptitious programming, that kind of stuff. Like I wonder if advertising agencies have worked out how to we utilize just this. do some kind of binaural uh, right-wing extremist dog whistle. It's just like subliminally <laughs> programming the audience. We could do that. <laughs> I didn't say that, okay? Like for the comments, I didn't say that. <laughs> you were thinking it though. I picked up on the thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. We could try that for a future show. We won't tell anyone. We'll just start doing it. So Monroe developed this uh, specific frequency compositions to support various meditative states And his key was he designed this kind of map to facilitate the movement through these states. Mm -hmm. So what Oliver is doing here in this first experience is like focus one, getting into that first altered state, just experiencing those changes in the brain. And he went up to focus level 35, I think is the maximum. I'm not sure where they're up to, where they're up to today, whether people have expanded on it. Uh, And the baseline consciousness that we're in now is just called C1. And that's where you start. So back to Oliver's experience, he says... What he's going through is his brain reacting to that hemisync technology. And as he's lying flat on his back, he's now paralyzed. So it's almost like... So it does paralyze you. It's like it's inducing a sleep paralysis experience. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, And he actually starts to panic like you do under sleep paralysis. He said, I focus on breathing. I'm trying to, you know, stay calm, inhaling, exhaling. And he says, it works. I start to calm down and relax but he says, I barely sense my body at all. It feels as if my mind has separated from it and he's enveloped in this profound stillness. It's quite amazing. And that's when he hears it. He starts to hear this, this horrible snoring coming through. Just this kind of awful, really loud snoring. And he's like, what the hell is that? It becomes so annoying. 
And he's trying to figure out where it's coming from. It must be the other guy, Phil, that's in his room in the other pod. And he's almost relieved when the voice comes through the speakers, slowly taking them out of that altered state, going five, four, three, two, one. You know, you're back in the room. Kind the, of thing. You have to wonder though, like because that looks like it's a huge building. Why would you put people in shared rooms? Like there must be something about the hemisync or the outer body. Because like if you're going to affect people through snoring, which people do, maybe it's just the way they built it, and that's just how it is. Mm. But uh, that maybe there's something to partnering up with someone as well. You that's get to share think, things yeah. with someone. Um. So following the instructions, they jot down their observations in this little notebook they get. And he said, my experience with Focus 10 aligns with most of the participants because they all meet up afterwards to share their experiences. And only Anne's experience of Focus 10 diverged significantly. And she's this uh, elderly woman. I think she's in her 80s or something. And she just says, oh, body asleep, mind asleep. She says, I must have dozed off. I only woke up when the exercise was over. That's so easy to happen, though, whenever you're doing anything like that. So he realizes that um, <laughs> he realizes that she must have been the, the one that was snoring. I'm listening to this old lady snore. I paid two and a half grand for this week-long getaway, and I'm just listening to this old lady snore. So the next day, uh, their exercise is activating the Rebal Resonant Energy Balloon. Re- as in rebalancing? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what it stands for, but something to do with the, yeah, balancing. He says you basically visualize energy erupting from in your head, going outside the top of your head, and then circulating around your body and then going back up through the soles of your feet. That was that tree thing that I described to you, well, the, the show we did last week, where the psychic was viewing, remember the sad tree? Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. So she was, she was describing that the energy was coming up at the top and then radiating around and then coming back underneath. Yeah, that's, that's this energy cycle that they have to visualize in one of these exercises, but he's terrible at it. He says you're it's trying, a hard thing to visualize. You're trying to get this nice synchronous flow going, and and he's just got this whirlwind of it's chaotic energy going everywhere. At least he's just not very good at uh, visualization. And he so says, that- "I'm slowly starting to get it. Like he's slowly starting to get somewhere. He's getting better and better at it. And then finally, he hears this. <laughs> this, <laughs> you know, you're just like two grand." For this. Do they sit there doing this all day? Like how often do they do it in like hour-long sessions or is it something yeah, that they're... Hours and hours. Hours, yeah. And you get a break and then hours and hours. I can imagine, yeah, it'd be very frustrating. And he hears this snoring and it's time to come out of it again. So he's like, damn it, I just cannot get this. So um, he's so annoyed that he's heard this snoring because he felt like he was about to perceive something, like something was happening. And he's like, ah, oh, this sucks, that stupid woman and a snoring... And he goes over to turn on the switch, like the light switch that's in this little unit thing that he's in. And he can't hit the switch. And he's like, what's, what's wrong with the switch? Because he kind of dozed when he come out of it. And he looks Is up his, his eyes. And his arms going through the Brilliant. wood. His arms going through the wall of this CHEC unit. And he's thinking, what the hell's going on? What on earth just happened? So he like snaps out of it, drags himself out of bed. And um, he ends up going to this experience sharing afterwards and the instructors say, oh, you had a what's called a partial out-of-body experience. So, so he kind of didn't realize he was out of body, which is very typical in these experiences. He obviously didn't realize, but he wasn't fully out. It's like just his arm was out. Oh. <laughs> like obviously his eyes, his head, he was pretty much back to normal, but his arm his had arm lagged somehow, which I found kind of funny. Was the snoring him? Well... 
That's a, that's an interesting idea that the snoring's him. It may be him or it might just be this annoying old lady. <laughs> we'll answer that question in a moment. Uh, when he gets into the next uh, task, the whole goal is to construct an energy tool. And he says this is a universal aid that allows us to purposefully direct energy in the non-physical realm. It's the Minecraft of out-of-body experiences. <laughs> it really is. Like, yeah, it's like a crafting table. <laughs> you got to craft a lightsaber in another yeah. dimension. It's really what what it is. Um, and the concept of this is completely foreign to him. And he's like, "What is this light bar nonsense? I don't get it." And he strives to maintain an open mind and closes his eyes, goes through the whole process, going through the focus levels. And um, when Robert Monroe's voice kicks in, he's trying to activate this energy field around him. This is basically what you're listening to. I've got another clip here. Uh, this is the energy bar uh, creation program. Okay. Oh, I Now you're image. going to construct your first energy tool. Visualize a spot of light, a small white spot of light, a glowing, sparkling spot of light. Now take this spot of light and stretch it out. Stretch it out. Stretch it out until it becomes a white line. Stretch it out until it becomes a white line. Make this spot of light into a short white line. So he's sitting there trying to do this and it seems like everyone else in the course is like, they're, they're somehow managing to do it. Uh, but he just can't, he can't get it. He can't visualize it properly. Is he one of these people that can't visualize anything? I don't know. I don't know if it's his German analytical mind going, you know, this is nonsense. Mm. I, I don't understand this. Um, and he just cannot do it. And he kind of asks himself again, how would it actually feel to hold a glowing rod oh, in my he's hand? Overthinking it. He really is. He's he's that's the problem. His that's analytical the mind of stuff. is really kicking in. And as soon as he poses this question, though, what would it feel like? Something happens. The scene opens up before him, and vivid as real life, realer than real, this unexpected angelic female floats into his vision. What? She's got long, dark hair, frames this exotic face, but she's not dressed in a, a white flowing robe or anything. She's wearing like little brown shorts and a yellow T-shirt. Lululemon. <laughs> yeah. And she's holding this glowing light rod. <laughs> you drop this. And she goes up to him. She's like, oh, here, Oliver, you can take my energy bar. I don't really need it anymore. And he's like, oh, he's so bewildered. He takes it. And then he starts hearing the... <laughs> he comes out of it again. He's like comes out of the whole experience. But th this kind of um, you know nonchalant. Oh, I don't need it anymore. Is it another participant? Well, he gets out of the experience, and he he's never experienced anything like this before. It is so real. It is beyond a dream. It's not some kind of imagination. He's scribbling in his note notebook. That was incredible. It was like a real person. Some angel came to me. She gave me her light bar. I could see it. I could feel it. It was a hundred percent real. And he gets to the sharing session afterwards and other people are having difficulty, you know, creating this light bar. He's not the only one struggling with it. 
Um, and he's about to express his d- disappointment that he failed the exercise when a participant at the back of the room speaks up. And she says, well, I found it really easy to create the energy tool. And she says, it only took a few seconds. But she said, then I thought I may as well check on the others. And at first I sensed Anne and she was just sat- standing there doing nothing. And when I tried to get her attention, she didn't react. And Anne's that old lady that keeps on falling asleep. She's asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and Anne, in this session, she just starts laughing. She's like, oh, yes, that's right. I, I slept through the whole thing, you know. Silly, Classic Anne. Silly me. Sorry, everybody. And um, she says, that's not all, though. I, I saw Oliver and he seemed distraught. He seemed frustrated. But did he recognize her? Like if he's, he doesn't recognize her. No, well, she keeps going and says, look, he found it hard to create an energy rod. So I simply gave him mine. And she looks over at him like the whole room falls silent. She looks over at him and she says, hey, you're Oliver, aren't you? And she introduces herself. She says, I'm Maya. And his his jaw drops because he hadn't really noticed her before. He hadn't really had much of a conversation with her before, but he looks over at her. She's wearing a yellow T-shirt. She's got these brown little shorts on. She's got dark hair. Everything matches. She doesn't look like an angel. Like, she looks normal, obviously. But it was her. And he says, what you've just described is exactly what happened. This is what I wrote in my notebook. I don't know how you did it, but I saw it. I experienced it. So now... Some of his doubts are starting to leave. It's a bit of validation. Um, And at dinner, he asks the instructors, he's like, how was this possible? You know, he's never heard anything like this. And he's trying to find some kind of sensible explanation. But the instructor, John, says that, look, when Robert was alive, he would always stress, don't believe anything I tell you. Search for yourself and gather your own experiences. He said he gave us a map, but we must undertake the journey ourselves. And what they were trying to push him to do was to, because he had read so, read so many books on out-of-body experiences, he had a very structured, rigid way of how they should happen. Mm-hmm. You know, what you should do and what the experience will be like. And they had to keep drilling this into him that he needed to forget all of that stuff. He needed to stop thinking about how it was supposed to be and just try and experience it with an open mind. And later he goes to this woman, Maya, and he's like, how did you even find me? And her answer is kind of new age kooky because she says, oh, I just asked my spirit guides to direct me to who needed help. And that's how I came across you. He's like, what? What What are spirit guides? What is this? And she says, oh, I don't really know. All I can say is they've always been there when I need their help. And he's like, okay, yes, this woman is crazy. Um, he has no idea what she's talking about. But she suggests to him a new approach. She says, well, you know, you're having trouble with these exercises. Why don't you ask for help from your spirit guides? Why don't you try and perceive them and maybe they can help you? And he's like, that sounds crazy. How do I even do that? And she says, well, he asks her, how do you do it? She's like, oh, I can see very clear images. One of them's an old medieval monk, and another one appears as a man with a wolf's head. <laughs> I'm like, wait, a wolf man is a spirit guide for you? Yeah, probably not a good idea. A werewolf is your spirit guide. Well, but in saying that, though, um, you know, there's the idea that this is some type of spiritual archetype, and that's why people see wolf man and... It's always been with us, so maybe. Still, do you want spiritual advice from a wolf man? No. I don't know. I personally probably wouldn't. 
And now that I've said that, I'll probably be attacked by a wolf. Yeah, if I, if I want an archetype, it's the, uh, you know, the long-haired Jesuit-looking guy yep. in the robes or, with yeah, the beard. Or, or, you know, like something with long, like, dark hair yeah. and, like, a big robe. Or, and... like, a Taoist with a whip or something and yeah, the long moustache. Yeah, that works, yeah. I'd even settle for a Native American. I don't want some wolf man giving me spiritual directions. Mm. She's fine with it, apparently. So, um... He thinks, okay, I may as well try this. I got nothing to lose. Um, and and the it's next bigfoot appear. And meanwhile, <laughs> Karen and John, the instructors, they introduce them to the next level of consciousness, Focus Twelve. Monroe described this level as a state of expanded awareness. This time, the process goes off without a hitch. He said, "I immediately per- perceive the rebound, the energy circulating." He said, "The more I relax, the more I feel the vibration. I am the vibration." He says, "Something's really kicking in." And the awareness of his body disappears. He says, for the first time, I experience what Monroe describes in this affirmation you do at the start of every session where you've got to say, I am more than my physical body. This is the first time he's actually feeling that for real. And then as he's, he feels like something momentous is about to happen, he's feeling this hemisync power. And all of a sudden, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> The snoring kicks in again. And he's just had enough. He's like, I'm so sick of this snoring. He decides to bring it up with the trainers. He's like, as soon as I'm out of this session, I'm just going to ask to be moved to a different room. And he's listening intently. He's like, it's got to be coming from the next room. And he totally picked it like a dirty nose. Like he rolls over and to try and hear it better. And he hears this. And that's when he realizes it's him. It's him. He's the one that's been snoring this whole time. So this is strange, though. So it, it's suggesting that he's asleep, but I thought with this kind of stuff that you're in an altered state. Well, this is the altered state, though, because his body is asleep, but his mind is fully lucid. Mm. And he was wide awake the whole time, even though his body his was body asleep. Isn't. His body yeah. is, is not. So he refocuses, um, and he starts describing, instead of it feeling like he's breathing, it feels like something's breathing him, something's pumping his lungs. He floats beyond the limits of his physical body, he says, and uh, he, it feels like someone's trying to cram a large gob of cotton candy into a tiny can, he says. That's how it feels. Like yeah, his I've heard body, people describe something similar to that. His body's getting heavier and heavier. He said, I can feel my physical body, but I can't move it. He says, once my breath returns, my awareness expands. And he's jolted out of it by... Um, the countdown from Monroe on the speakers mm-hmm. saying it's time to come out of it. And he, his roommate, Phil, comes in. Phil pulls back the curtain and is like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? He says, that was intense. That was amazing. He's like, why? I, I just started feeling this breathing sensation and, you know, I felt heavy and weird. And Phil's like, I was flying above the center. I saw the crystal. I was going above the lake. I saw everything. It was incredible. And he's like, oh, I just felt this weird sensation. And again, he's like lagging behind the group. This guy's having all these amazing sensations. I can't believe I spent two grand on this. Yeah, basically, that's that's his regret. And this guy, Phil, is like, I saw a, a shoe on the roof. I swear, I saw a shoe on the roof. And this must be some kind of uh, old out-of-body cliche by now. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like that uh, near-death experience where the woman was in hospital and she went up above the hospital. She saw an old shoe up there. And when she was back in her body, she went to check and Why is it this was there. so many old shoes on roofs? That's a good question. Don't you just throw your shoes in the bin when you're done with them? Who's throwing them on roofs? So this guy, Phil, drags him to the top of the building and they end up having a look and it's there. they find the shoe. Um, 
And he says, when he finally gets to ask his spirit guides for contact in another session, he says all that happens is his leg twitches. Right, he'd ask all these questions like, "If you're there, give me a sign." Oh, like a kinesiology kind of effect. Like, well, a- at, at first he thinks nothing's happening. Then he asks a yes or no question, and his left leg twitches. And then he asks another question, and the answer is obviously the opposite. And his right leg twitches. Mm. And he comes out of it, and he speaks to the instructors, and they, well, he speaks to Mayor or something, and they say, "Maybe that's how they communicate with you." And well, it he's, sounds like he's not fully connecting yet either. So it's like a it's whatever way he can get through. He's skeptical of this, but he continues. He does. He doesn't try and you know come to any conclusions. Um, he reaches focus fifteen in a follow up session where someone screams his name, but he doesn't see anything. It's someone just goes like Oliver, and then he comes out of it. During the concluding meditation in focus fifteen, um. There's this session where you're instructed by the audio to focus on a place on earth that makes you feel good, visualize yourself there. And he picks the island of Corsica and he actually lived there for two years as a young man. He's got great memories from there. And he found himself standing on the beach, sand under his toes, the visualizations very strong. And following the meditation instructions, he imagines himself growing taller and taller and expanding until he can see the curvature of the earth and then taller and taller until he can see the map of the earth. And eventually... The this earth, is the level stuff, isn't it? Yeah, eventually the earth shrinks beneath him to its, until it's like the size of a ball. He's floating through the universe, the planet's at eye level. And when he reaches out to grab earth, intuitively reaches out to grab it, the trainer in this vision, in this visualization, John, suddenly appears and grabs planet Earth and says, here, Oliver, catch, and throws it at him. Planet Earth hits him in the head and he come, immediately comes out of the experience and he's in, you know, in his hemisync bed. Anyway, a few minutes later, everyone gathers to share their experiences. And Sleepy Anne has something incredible to share. She could hit the face of the ball. <laughs> No, no. Bouncing off someone else's face. She actually meets her deceased son. And that's the whole reason why she went to this. Uh, She said, he showed me his new home. I've waited 20 years for this moment. Knowing that Samuel is doing well means so much to me. My son took his own life. No one knows why. He didn't even leave a suicide note. And this was a really moving story where she shared this interaction with her son where he explained everything and she got some closure. And everyone's kind of in tears and... You know, they're they're wondering if there's anything else to share. And almost to liven up the moment, um, the instructor, John, grabs this felt ball and throws it at Oliver and says, Oliver, catch. And he's too slow because he's still crying after hearing this old woman's story. And the ball hits him in the head. And he goes down to pick it up. And it's a map of the earth on this, this felt ball. So was he experiencing a precognition in that out-of-body yeah, state? Or was it that somehow the guy, like, was the guy demonstrating that he'd been there and had done that? Well, he asked the instructor this, and the instructor's like, well, I don't really know. It's up to you to interpret the experience. Right. But yeah, it does Probably seem more like some kind of precognitive, um, pre-cognitive event. Mm. Um, eventually, they go into the next session, and they're about to visit Focus 21, it's called. And Monroe describes this stage as the bridge between the physical and the non-physical, a bridge between these energy systems, a a threshold between physical reality and the levels outside time and space. 
And Oliver admits this doesn't make much sense to him at all. But it becomes even more abstract as Karen, the other instructor, starts to explain that there's a cafe near this bridge that connects the two worlds. And he's like, what are you talking about? A cafe? And they say, yeah, it's a, it's a construct. It's been created by the thousands of people that have done this gateway program. They usually meet up at this place. And over time, it's just in an almost toolpick way formed into a kind of French cafe in another dimension. (laughs) It's strange when you think about it because, yeah, if you've got thousands of people that are using intense mental focus and energy, which is how we believe, you know, when we understand that these places are created, but why is it that they somehow created a, like a Parisian or like a French style cafe? Like, why is that? Well, if if I asked you to think of a cafe, what would you think of? Would it be a Parisian style street cafe? Yeah, you know what? It probably would be. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, that's the... Why do we go there? Why do you go to the cafe? Yeah, like, but, but no, in your, like, when you say, you know, describe a cafe, why is it that it seems like people go to a Parisian-style cafe? Because the Parisians mastered the cafe. Yeah, okay, it's like the enough. pinnacle of cafe achievement. <laughs> no one's conquered it. <laughs> I can even hear the accordion music right now as I'm imagining it. Like, it goes, Starbucks is down here, Parisian street cafe. Yeah. Right up here. Yeah. Right. You can tell how spiritually aware you are, depending on where you land up. If you go to Starbucks, <laughs> you're screwed. Uh, according to John, this instructor, he said, among other things, the cafe serves as a launch point for shared excursions into non-physical realities. It's a kind of base camp where you can agree to meet. And after the exercise, you can discuss your observations. So he's like, all right, how the hell do I find this place? Uh, as if reading his mind, Karen jumps in and says, when you want to explore a certain place in a non-physical realm... You have to program your inner GPS accordingly, and you do this by setting a clear intention. Mm-hmm. So she claims all you have to do is go into the experience <clears> saying, oh, I'm going to meet at the cafe. I'm going to meet at the cafe. I'm intending to meet at the cafe. So he sets his internal nav- navigator to the cafe and allows the sound frequencies to come in, and Monroe's voice guides them through this color spectrum he calls them the Miranon colors. And Miranon was some entity, I can't remember this from his books, but some entity he encountered. Yeah, I was wondering at, at this level, right, if this is a threshold, is this where people most commonly encounter entities of some kind? Well, we'll get into that in a moment. Yeah, there is entities that pop up. And he has a hard time visualizing all of this. And it's only until he reaches focus 18, he says, that he gets a distinct impression of one of the colors, which is rose. And it starts to morph into this dense fog. And out of this fog, he hears a voice, and the voice whispers very clearly to him, we will meet again here. Now, before he can respond, he hears the 10, 9, 8, the countdown from Monroe over the speakers, and um, he, he kind of drifts through this purple cloud until instead of seeing colors, he kind of merges into this white light. And for a moment, just before the end of the countdown, it feels miraculous. Like he feels like he could stay there forever. It's almost like a near-death experience. And very reluctantly, he comes out of the experience and he's back in his normal surroundings. But what was that voice? We will meet here again. Like, who was that? Who was whispering to me? And he ended up asking his roommate, was that you calling? Did you say something? He's like, no, I didn't say anything. Anyway, that's kind of the end of the the week it's getting towards the end um and and he's told before we deal with mundane issues like travel arrangements the he said the trainers had a surprise for us and he said this is a small preview of what awaits you beyond focus 21 
Focus 27, The Park. And Focus 27 is this really intriguing place because Monroe, especially in his latter books, wrote about this location that he kept on arriving at. And when he first encountered it, he wasn't that interested because it seemed to be a place where people would go immediately after death. And he saw it as like people lining up, checking in to like a convention center and there was a park and there was like a healing center and a library and beautiful, beautiful scenery. Like it was all magical. Sounds like a a university campus or something. Yeah, well, he kept on coming across it, but he just wasn't interested because, you know, he was... He wants to explore. He didn't, yeah, he, he didn't have any illnesses or any worries about death. But then I think his wife got um, cancer and she she passed away and he returned to it. And I think his final book is really focused on this area. I'll have to read Focus it. 27, The Park. So does he find his wife? Yeah, he finds his wife. And what's intriguing about Monroe's work is that people who have, other people who have done this program have also found the park. And it's, it's the way you think of it is like a level of consciousness or a, a level of existence, a different dimension where people seem to check into the afterlife. It's like this weird kind of um, acclimation zone. Mm. And part of the, the last session was um, you, you go into this well, he describes trying to essentially reach the park. This was the idea is that perhaps you get a glimpse of the park. And he says, the moment Monroe's voice reaches my ears through the headphones, he has that uh, physical heaviness come over him. But he said this time he was just overcome by mental fatigue and he simply fell asleep. And when he came to, he finds himself in this French street cafe. And He's sitting at this round outdoor table. There's a sugar bowl in front of him. There's a glass of water in front of him. And he's totally confused. He scans the surroundings. Nothing is familiar. And he's like, I've been to France before. I've been to Paris before. But I don't recognize this place. And he's embarrassed because, you know, like, you should always know where you are and how you got there and what you're doing. But he he knows none of this. But this all feels very real to him. Well, the... The knowledge of him being at the Monroe Institute and doing this has totally vanished. Like he's totally confused. He's got no recollection. It's like he's just been planted in this new location. Around him are people engrossed in conversation. No one seems to notice him. He tries to listen to the conversation and he can kind of make it out, but he can't quite understand the language. It's some weird language he can't understand. It's not French. He says, only now do I realize that there are no people or vehicles on the street or the sidewalk in front of me. He's like, where the hell am I? How did I get here? What is going on? And he dared not leave his seat because he thinks, well, where would I go? I don't even know where I am. What would I do? And he starts to wonder if he's ordered something, like if something's coming from the waiter. Panic starts to set in when this young man sits down, some guy he doesn't recognize, sits down at the same table. And this guy says, oh, my apologies for keeping you waiting. Uh, there's a lot happening today. And he's just, Oliver's just staring at him going, uh, okay, what is going on? Look, I'd love to show you the park now. Uh, they're expecting you, but uh, it's just a super busy day. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm dead. And as soon as he says the park, it's like a lightning strike, yeah. right? And suddenly he's like, Monroe Institute, CHEC unit, Focus 27, the park. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. Holy crap. I'm here. I'm here. And um, 
he, this guy gets up from his chair and he suddenly hears another voice. The voice says, express your gratitude to those who supported you on your journey to the park and say goodbye for now. It's time to return to waking consciousness. Five, four, oh. three, two, one. And he's back. It's the end of the meditation. It's the end of the tape. Why do you get encourage people to come back for the next program? And so he's like, I was there. I was at the park and you brought me out of it. Oh. So who was the guy? Was he someone that he knew or was it just no a idea. random guy? He's got no idea. Uh, he's like, every time it gets interesting, Monroe brings me back to physical reality. So that's the end of his week. And it's the end of the Gateway program at the Monroe Institute. Truly life-changing for him. But before he leaves, the instructor warns him. He says, make sure you wait 30 days before making any life-changing decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, this instructor, John, says, look, some participants feel a strong urge to radically overhaul their entire lives after this program. but..." Trust me, it's not advisable. Allow the new experiences to sink in first. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Silly, I go back to my job. He says within 30 days, he had quit his job on German television. You can't go back. He had bought a ticket to <clears throat> Byron Bay, Australia, the hippie capital of our country. Good luck to him. <laughs> and had signed up for a yoga instructor's course. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? How long ago was this? <laughs> this is like the 2000s. Oh, well, if he's still there now, he's probably made a great deal of money in the uh, the property market. Well, no, he didn't stay there because uh, he says it was hardcore. Like he got to Byron Bay. He's like, everything's going to be la-di-da. I'm going to talk about no, the OBEs. it's so pretentious. It's just like... Well, he said this yoga instructor's course was hardcore. They were not interested in any of his nonsense, new age OBE stories or any new age concepts. They were just like... Mate, we've got to learn these bloody yoga prasana shit. We've got to get on top so of this. I'm sure it was like that. <laughs> yeah, it was like hardcore Ashtanga yoga, which is the most difficult system of poses. And they're all like young men competing against each other. And he says it was full on. Like it was, hard, it was like Shaolin monk training. And he was just sore all over all the time. It was so bad. He didn't even get to practice any OBEs. He just had to try and get through this course. And it was, it was full on that it was so full on, but that by the time he got to the end of the course, he got an invite to come back to the Monroe Institute for another week. He just jumps at the chance. He's like, I've got to get out of this hardcore yoga stuff. So, <laughs> so he goes back and he does this guidelines program. And he said, during that week, I encountered a few stumbling blocks, but it no longer discouraged me. But he said, one of the challenges I had to face daily came in the form of clickouts during the hemisync experiences. And I never realized this, perhaps I've forgotten this from Monroe's work, but the clickout describes what I've mentioned a couple of times on recent shows about what happened to me when I was a teenager. When I was at my my cousin's house, I remember reading this comic book late late at night. And oh, then, this is the instantaneous daybreak. Yeah, then closing the comic book, closing my eyes and then opening them and it's daytime. Yeah. And having no concept of any passage of time, of any sleep having have happened or you know, the normal feeling you have when you know that time's passed. Yeah, or the adjustment of light. Like you instantly go yeah. from nighttime to daytime. It was so strange. Mm. And I never forget that moment. And the Monroe Institute, Robert Monroe, came up with a term for this called clickouts because it would happen pretty regularly to people that would have these out-of-body experiences so using hemisync. What is it exactly? Well, it's this jargon they came up with for this gap in awareness where any sense of time and memory is lost. While those who sleep are generally aware that they've slept, experiencing a relative sense of time and lingering drowsiness upon waking, 
ClickOut's lack these characteristics. Now, he doesn't go into any deep explanation of what they are. I think they just don't know. But he said some trainers have reached the conclusion that a ClickOut can also be caused by a substantial information download the brain cannot process in real time. <laughs> so you had an information download when you were 17? I swear I want to get a hypnotic regression and go back to that night. We, we should. Just like, we should to find out what was going on. Some weird... Some grey holding a gun pointed at your head up there, just firing <laughs> a laser into your head. Yeah, something happened. Anyway, he he goes into this session and he's got a couple of journal entries. This is from January of 2002 where he's described his ears filling up with this strange muffling sound and he considers taking off the the headphones, but then he has a click out. He says suddenly there's a click out and he comes to and he's in a desert and he he feels like it's in the United States, like it's somewhere he's been on a bus tour in Arizona or something. And when he looks around, he doesn't see anyone else at all. And he carefully raises his right leg and just starts floating up into the air. And he describes thinking about this bus tour and immediately immediately flying through the air and ending up at at like a bus station, perhaps because he just thought of bus tour, like directed him somewhere nearby. And um, totally disoriented, he lands on the ground and he gets run over by a truck. <laughs> a truck just, well, just comes goes through him, flattens him, like completely flattens him. Well, like he, a cartoon can, um, pancake. Well, he says, I find myself unhurt on the pavement. And when I ask a pedestrian for help, they just walk through me. Only now do I realize I am dead. But how did I die and where is my physical body? So again, he's lost any memory that he was actually at the Monroe Institute doing this exercise. He just thinks that he's dead. Yeah, well, you saw my reaction before with the cafe. Like immediately you just, you wouldn't think about Monroe. You'd be like, oh my God, I'm dead. Yeah, and this is a real obstacle for him. He, he can't control these experiences. Eventually he comes out of it. Um, but one of the other participants in the, in the course comes up to him and says you've got to learn to control these experiences because as you keep going, you're going to have more and more of these. And if you can't get a level of control, it'll at best be disturbing, but some of the experiences will actually be be dangerous. He's like, okay, so how do I deal with this? So this goes back to his quest to find his spirit guides. It all comes back to this, I've got to find my spirit guides. They've got to help me. Maybe I need a wolf man and a monk to help me. <laughs> or a dragon. A dragon would be good. Yeah, some kind of dragon, Bigfoot riding a dragon. So as part of this, he describes more on this program, but I'll skip to the end. As part of this guidelines program, you get this um, session called the PREP session, which stands for Personal Resource Exploration Program. Mm-hmm. And during this session, each participant gets an hour in the specially built soundproof chamber that they've rigged up. And they connect you to, you know, the usual headphones and speakers, but they connect you to, I think, an EEG machine and you get a printout of your brainwave activity afterwards. And the guide for this program was the famous remote viewer, Skip Atwater. You know, we've we've covered his work a bunch of times on the show. And it was his turn to have his hour session in this, what is it called, like an anechoic chamber? Is that what they call them when there's no sound? Is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. So but is this- it like, um, it's almost like a sensory deprivation, but obviously there's not total sensory deprivation because you've got something being blasted into your ears. But yeah. I guess they're trying to find a, a happy medium. Well, there would just be no intrusion of any other sounds at all and a completely like sound, completely, yeah, completely soundproof room. And um, Skip Atwater takes him through this Focus 10, Focus 11, and he gets to Focus 12. 
And Skip chimes in and says, you might want to direct a question to your spirit guides. My monitor clearly shows that you're stable in Focus 12 because Skip is monitoring his brainwaves and says it's a good prerequisite for communicating with them on this level. So to this day, uh, Oliver says, I can't explain what happened next. He said, the audio tape later revealed that I started talking, but I have no conscious recollection of what I said. It was only after he came out of the experience, he's all drowsy, he gets up out of the chamber, he's like, that was weird. You know, comes out and Skip Atwater comes up to him, obviously excited. And Skip says, whoa, man, that was wild. And he shows him the readout from his brainwave activity. And he says, once I sensed that you were traveling and having these encounters, I brought you up to Focus 21 and you suddenly started babbling in German. He said, unfortunately, I couldn't really guide you from there because I can't speak German, but here's the tape of everything you said for like the last 20 minutes. He was just like babbling in German. He's got no memory of it. Is it like he was being um, a channel? Well, Skip gives him the cassette tape and because he was in a hurry to catch his flight, he just stuffed it into his bag and kind of forgot about it. Just, you know, went back to wherever he was going, back to the US or back to Germany. And we'll come back to the tape in a moment. In a roundabout way, this this kind of led him to his guides because he said, I learned to accept that the guides didn't want to tell me their names. They didn't want to show themselves to me. And instead of trying to have this kind of direct, amazing experience with them, I thought, he said, I thought I'm just going to try and intuitively sense them, intuitively pick up on whatever their messages are. He said, over 16 years later, in 2018, during an OBE workshop he was doing, He said, I spontaneously asked these entities why they chose to be my guides in this life. He said the next moment, he found himself in the middle of an old ruin that seemed to have been a monastery or abbey of some sort. And very um, vivid, very real, like he was actually there. And he says, I was standing in a circle amongst a group of Franciscan monks, all dressed in their distinctive dark brown cows. He said, look, I tried to absorb every detail, like the weathered, ruined walls, the tall grass, the sky, everything. And he said, I intuitively knew that we were some kind of tight-knit religious community. And then this telepathic message from this group beams into his head. We are brothers, it says, and just echoes through his head. Now, he understands that he's part of an order and he's been chosen to do something, to complete some quest. Get paddled. <laughs> as, a, as a representative of this group. Why me, he asks them. Because you have the skills to do it. That's the collective response he gets. And the number 1786 enters into his mind. Now, the year, obviously. Well, he thinks it must mean the year, but he's not sure. Well, he asks this group, what is the quest that you want me to complete? You know what you have to do, they reply. And he says, yes, I do know what I need to do. The circle disappears and one by one, the monks vanish without a trace and he's left alone in these ruins. Now he says, I take a moment to carefully observe my surroundings. And he says, I realize I know this place. I know the Mediterranean look of the walls. I know everything. It feels known. And then again, this term, we are brothers, echoes in his mind. The scene fades away and he's back on the mattress. The room's quiet. And the last thought he has is, I know what I need to do. And he, he utters these words with absolute certainty, he says. 
but he has no idea what he has to do. So it's like some weird <laughs> subconscious like, thing. Yeah, it's like in that moment, he knows exactly what he's got to do. But when he tries to think back at what that information was, it's completely inaccessible. Now, as soon as he's out of that session, within minutes, he starts researching. He gets his phone. He starts Googling. He immediately finds two significant locations. He finds the uh, Cuvent de Oreza on the island of Corsica. Which he's previously been attracted to. Which is this place. Uh, obviously a real place. Those are the ruins that he saw in his experience. The other place he he identifies is the old Spanish mission in Santa Barbara, California, which uh, that's an old photo of it from the 1800s, but it's still there today. You can go and visit today. They've kind of redone it. But um, he sees that and he said the ruins of the monastery in Corsica align with about 90% of that vision that he had. Does he check the date or the year? Is there anything significant that occurred at those sites in those years or well, that year? Well, he said, yeah, he said, during my meditation, I distinctly perceived its tall bell tower. He said, furthermore, I had a strong attraction to Corsica from a young age. Remember, I mentioned earlier that he actually lived there. But he said, back then, I had no knowledge of these specific ruins. Like, he's never been to these um, ruins before in his life. He's yeah. never been there in his life. Could he have wandered past them and subconsciously no, acknowledged them? It's, it's too far away. Miles inland okay. on the island. And he said, on the other hand, I instantly felt a connection to the mission in Santa Barbara, where I had frequently guided groups of German tourists. He said, on each visit, I felt a pull towards a particular area of the garden that closely resembled the surroundings in my vision. So the garden in the vision was the one from Santa Barbara, California. But the building was this place from Corsica. What's it, the deal? Yeah, is there any link between these two locations? Well, he starts researching, right? Starts looking this place up. He discovers that the mission in Santa Barbara, this place, was led by Father Fermin Lassoen, founded in 1786. Mm. The date that he pulled out, and he's got no idea of this. He's, there's no way, way he knew this. Um he was succeeded by a father, uh, Unipero Serra, who had constructed several missions in California under the Spanish crown and passed away in 1784. Another intriguing detail caught his attention. He said, I had spent the winter months of 2008 and 2009 on the Spanish island of Mallorca, where my accommodations were situated on Avenida California at the intersection of Avenida Unipero Serra, which is the name of this um, priest that preceded this guy on the screen now. So he comes out of this thinking, what is going on? What is this order I'm connected to? Who are these Franciscan monks? Are these my spirit guides? And what is my mission? What is the mission that I told them that I'm absolutely certain I know what to do and come out of it with no idea? Did he look up to see if they had some type of written down mission or a, um, a goal or something like that? There's nothing he could find. Well, obviously, their goal is to, you know, spread Catholicism and establish the church in the Americas and do all that stuff. Of course, what, but I'm referring to anything particularly special. To but, find the golden sphere that will yeah, well. awaken the sleeping prophet. No, nothing like that. Well, what about this tape? What about this cassette tape? Which is now 16 years old. Well, in he said it wasn't until 2012, because this experience came later with these monks. But in 2012, 10 years after that session with Skip Atwater at the Monroe Institute, He's going through some old boxes and he finds the tape. It was with some old letters. And part of the problem was it's a cassette tape and it was like, who has a, a Walkman in 2004 or whenever it was that he did the session? Um, he said, I had never listened to it. 
And he finally tracked down a cassette player and listened to the recording. And he doesn't give, maybe it's too personal, he doesn't give a full transcript, but he said, among other things, I vividly described how I would transition from being a tour guide, because that was his job at the time, to guiding people to along the astral plane. He said, one particular sentence from the recording has stayed with me to this day. We can show you the path, but only you can clear the way by following your true calling. Become a yoga instructor at Byron Bay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's intriguing. He was a tour guide guiding tourists through these locations, but he was to become a tour guide on the astral plane. So what we're going to look at after the break for our PLUS members is what he eventually got into. And I had no idea. Part of some of the latter courses of training in the Monroe Institute are specific courses, specific focus states, where you literally take someone who's passed away and show them how to get really to the higher focus levels and specifically that park area with the check-in center and the healing center and the big library that Monroe discovered in this Focus 27. I didn't know that either. But in a way, though, like when you think about it, it makes sense. You know, you're talking about out-of-body experiences. Of course, it would cross over into people that have recently passed away. It's called the Lifeline Program. And he he did this in Virginia at the Institute. Um, and so as, Does it make these people like ghost whisperers? Is that what they are? Yeah, it's like training to become a ghost whisperer. How and I've unusual. got some crazy stories coming up after the break. Great. Remember some of those classics where you have a psychic, for example. I remember this one. We had a, a story about a psychic woman and she, someone hired her because the house was haunted, right? She goes into the house. And this is back in like the early 2000s or something. She goes into the house and she can sense that there's a spirit there. And she kind of attunes into the spirit to try and perceive him. And the house transforms. Like she sees this old man in a rocking chair, but the house transforms and it was a renovated house, but it was an old house, right? Yeah. And the house transforms to where the, the walls are like stone and really old brick and, you know, like there's wood frames everywhere. It just looks really old. And she starts conversing with this spirit and it's like the 1700s or something. Like it's some old English house. And this guy's like, yeah, waiting, waiting for my wife to come home. I don't know where she is. It's taken bloody forever. Oh, he was trapped there. And he's just been, he's been trapped in this house. Since 1786. It's now 2005, but he just still sees his old rocking chair, Mm. you know, his smoking pipe, his fireplace. Yeah, time becomes immaterial to them. And Oliver uh, has several experiences where he's trying to get, like, old grannies from Frankfurt who are stuck in the 1970s. Like, there's one old granny, I'll explain after the break, who's been cooking the same German stew (laughs) for 45 years. Okay. You've got me intrigued. You've definitely got me intrigued. I didn't think Stu would be that interesting, but I am I am interested. So that's uh, the work from Oliver Tapp. I'll link to it in the show notes, or Tapper, I should say. That would be the German pronunciation. Tappe? Tapper. Invisible, out-of-body experiences and explorations into the afterlife. His, uh, ex- his delving into the Monroe method. i got some wild stories coming up in our Plus Extension including this idea of barrier zones. Mm. And we're going to extend on the idea of that cafe in another dimension because other researchers, as I've said, other out-of-body experiences have come across these locations. And there's a question about the tangibility of something that comes from group consciousness. The uh, What do you mean? 
the idea of the cafe, it's something that stays solidified because multiple people contribute to its existence in this other dimension. But normally with, with topic forms as well, is you have to continually provide them with thought. Don't you? It has to be powered or energised in some way. Yeah, and it seems if there's multiple people, it seems to be stable. Hmm. Whereas if it's an individual in one of these other dimensions who has a certain idea or a certain thought or a certain concept, it'll form, but it won't be certain. It's not sustained. It, it won't have structure. It, yeah, it won't be sustained. It won't exist permanently. If it's multiple people, it seems to create this um, permanent structure. But other researchers have come across these barrier zones. And I'll get into some of that after the break, where some of these zones, they are created by group thinking, by group thought, group concepts, but they're guarded. And they're... By entities or by the people themselves that have created it? By the people that inhabit them, by the people that create them. Uh, inhabit and other an entities term. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these, it's what's fascinating about Monroe is he mapped these zones where people that don't understand that they've died, people that might be atheists, for example, and or have no spiritual path, have, have no concept of what's going on. Yeah, they get stuck in these zones, and he mapped these. I think it was twenty three to tw- like twenty one to twenty three or something. And he says, and that's what you do when you do this lifeline program. You got to go to these focus zones. It sounds like and, these are no go areas for inexperienced people. Well, there's all these people stuck there, and um, Oliver explains, and I'll get into some of this after the break. That some of them you just can't penetrate because they're protected, because they don't want you there, because you'll get kicked out, you'll get attacked. Okay, we'll go into that after the break. If you want to get access to more of this show, head to mysteriousuniverse.org/plus. Sign up today and you get access to the big extensions we do on these shows every single Friday. Uh, you also get an entirely exclusive show that comes out on Tuesdays if you sign up. Plus, Plus members also get a high-quality audio version of the show as well, a high bitrate feed. Uh, you get a totally ad-free version of the show. And of course, if you sign up for MU Max, you get access to our huge back catalog, more than 16 plus years of shows going back. Uh, a quite a long time, tons of stuff in our back catalogue. Again, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Sign up today, help support your favourite show. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're on plus, stick around for the great stuff after the break. For everyone else, we'll catch you next week. Welcome back to your Plus Extension. Great to have you here.